If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Hey there. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, November 28th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White and Chris, the Welsh. Today on the show, we are going to recap our first 2024 mock draft of the offseason. We did it a couple of weeks ago, but... I think the results are uh, still pretty relevant and it's the only mock draft we have up on the site, so we'll break it down. The hot stove is slowly starting to heat up. We have three moves to talk about in just a bit. I was going to ask God, hey, how's your Thanksgiving? You know, the usual. But for anyone watching on YouTube, I mean, look at this masterpiece behind Scott. Big old Christmas tree, the white lights, the ornaments, mm. the presents, which Scott was very... Uh, humbly bragging about before we started very proud of the uh, of the the rap job there are no puffy parts on this package here if you i'm not even holding it up well for the people who are watching the few people who are watching to see uh this is immaculate this is an immaculately wrapped box this is something i'm known for now ever since uh frank and i made the gift wrapping tutorial around christmas time a couple years ago it's definitely 99 percentile. I'm going to give you credit for that. Your your yeah. your meter your uh your satcast page is like far red, like wrapping tape job, uh, no puffiness. I mean, you are top yeah. five percentile across the board, my friend. Look, I don't do anything fancy pants. I'm I'm sure you can find people who wrap much better than me, but I do like a, a tightly wrapped box. You know, tightly wrapped, taped, and uh, Tightly wrapped 
Christmas present. I think it's a good thing. The Welsh is here and he's completely lost it. How are you doing, Welshie? I'm good. I'm good. I have uh, <laughs> no wrapping skills whatsoever. Um, I, I don't know what skill I can. I feel like I'm we were sure bringing you then. I, I, I no, we should, you should do a tutorial for me. I feel like we were bringing skills to the show and uh, I was unprepared, so I don't have a skill set. So I feel very vulnerable right now that the, that immaculate uh, wrapping job. But I'll, <laughs> I'll think about another one. I, I think I can uh, light the tree very well. I'm very good at plugging it in. Okay. Uh, I'm very good at putting okay. the pieces to the tree. I mean, I don't know if this is a controversial thing. Is anybody, either one of you, a natural tree guy? Because uh, not so much here. This is artificial. Okay. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not into the cleaning up the pine needles and potentially bringing in outside pests. And uh, how dare you guys? The tree potentially dying on you before the big day. I mean, I guess yeah. it's already dead, but you know, looking dead. Yeah, not into that. I like just pulling it out from under the crawl space and uh, setting it up again. Fits exactly how you need it to fit. All that. And do you decorate the outside? The outs because you say you plug in the tree. Do you do the outside lights? I actually I'm I don't do anything. It's like all preset, like <laughs> it's all pre-lit. Like it's it's ease of life. It is like two pieces we put together because we have a giant thing, plug it in, and then we just put the ornaments on and we, and we have this beautifully gorgeous tree right now. But I feel like we've highly offended Frank. Is is this a natural tree conversation we're about to have? No, I mean, we got one this year and uh we've done it in the past, but we've kind of alternated. I've got I've got a fresh tree this year. But I do like it. Like the smell. Mm. It smells great. Mm. Get a candle. Mm. Yeah, but you're putting your nose up a little bit more. I can tell. I can yeah. tell where this is going. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's also a, like a natural. It's like a left. three or four foot tree. So it's, it's we we all eventually reach a point where we're like, no, artificial's better. Yeah. yeah, yeah well, that's, we resist. that's that's called like you know having a family and kids and stuff <laughs> like that. You're just like, nah, I'm not gonna do this. When you're still living the high life, you're just like. You know what we should do? We should get a we should get a real tree. Let's go down and chop it. We're not doing that. I we got podcasts to do. Scott's too busy wrapping presents. Uh, there was I think twenty yeah. plus in there. There's too much going on in this time of year. Yeah, and we've got moves to talk about. So let's do exactly that before we get to our mock draft. The big move that was just announced on Monday: Sonny Gray to the Cardinals on a three-year, seventy-five million dollar deal, which uh, according to Botrack, Spotrack, tied okay. for ninth highest AAV among starting pitchers. Uh, and look at that. I actually got one prediction right on FBT and five. So shout out to me. Uh, Sonny Gray just had a huge year. He finished second in the AL Cy Young voting with the Minnesota Twins. He was the SP22 in Roto, the SP21 in head-to-head points, 279 ERA, a 115 whip, 184 innings, his most since 2015. He was awesome. But Scotty, how much are you buying it? How much are you buying what we just saw from Sonny Gray? And what do you think about the fit with the St. Louis Cardinals? Eh, I, I've gone through my phases of being a, a, a Sonny Gray believer and have always gotten burned by it. Always gotten burned by it. Oh, he's changed up his pitch mix. He's getting more strikeouts. You know, he's had so many ups and downs over the course of his career and so many troubles just taking a regular turn in the rotation this past year was his first time uh reaching the 180 inning threshold since 2015 2015 is a long time ago that was the last time uh sunny gray got to 180 innings prior to 2023 so you you've got to bake that into the cost too he's he's likely to uh to miss some time with injury 
his two-year stint with the Twins was among his better two-year stints. He had a combined 290 ERA, 114 whip, 8.9K per nine. But really, even there, what we're mostly impressed with is the ERA number, right? I mean, the strikeout's underwhelming. Um, I know he kind of uh, unveiled a new breaking ball this past year, a sweeper that was a, a, a couple miles per hour harder than whatever previous form he threw, and it had a nice whiff rate. But still less than a strikeout per inning. So I don't know that it matters that much. I think Sonny Gray makes for a nice rotation stabilizer in fantasy, but I wouldn't want him as more than like my third or even fourth starting pitcher in a 12-team league. Yep, he's got this kind of of jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none thing going on. He threw six different pitches between 7% and 27% of the time. That sweeper, as you mentioned, Scott, was amazing for him. A .097 batting average against and a 41% whiff rate. Uh, Always gets a good amount of ground balls. The control actually looked much better the past couple of years with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, He has an injury history. We already talked about, you know, most innings since 2015. The uh, early ADP is 131.3, going just after Max Scherzer, just ahead of names like Chris Bassett, Gavin Williams. Welsh, how does that price tag sound for you when it comes to Sonny Gray? Uh, yeah, I'm looking here. Just after Max, the couple guys below him, you've got Bassett, Gavin Williams, Jordan Montgomery down in the 150s. I don't know, I think it's relatively appropriate. There's just really interesting interview that was out there by, God, I remember Eric Kratz, is that right? The former catcher uh, who's on foul territory. Yeah. And he was having this whole thing about Sonny Gray and kind of almost the eccentricness of Sonny Gray, how when he went from the A's to the Yankees, they just wanted him to throw nothing but sliders all the time. And it kind of just messed with his rhythm because he he didn't get the choice as far as like what the pitching coach, it was Rothschild at the time, who was telling him what to do. And he's a constant tinkerer. And he was at that time in the interview, he's like, Kratz is like, he just wanted to throw like fastballs and cutters. Well, then you go from like 2022 where he scrapped the cutter and then he brought it back in 2023 and threw it 13% of the time, redeveloped this new sweeper. I mean, he loves to tinker. So I'd also say God knows what's in store for this year and what the Cardinals might end up doing, what he might end up wanting to do. I'd assume they're also going to let him kind of have free reign and hopefully, you know, under the guise of like Contreras and everything like that, they're going to be able to manage these and maybe on the fly type of calling. All of this is to just say, like, I love the reinvented sweeper. I thought that was a great pitch for him. Divisionally, maybe this is going to work out positively. And I think like in the 120s, he's a solid SP3 that you can get. And I don't mind the new destination at all because you also think about defend the defensive support that he's going to have on both corners with uh, Goldie and Arenado. And uh, you've, you know, you've got a couple of these bats that are a new year older that I think there's a lot of offensive support, a lot of defensive support. And if he kind of maintains what he was doing last year and that sweeper gets a 41 percent uh, whiff rate, I think he's going to be able to touch that 9K per nine and have a really good year. Yeah, I think SP3 makes a lot of sense, which both of you have already referenced to this point. One thing I'll say, uh, I do think we'll see some regression in the ERA and whip. I think that's pretty natural. I mean, 279 was a, yeah. uh, not a career best, but close to it. He's, you know, 347 for his career. I think that probably ticks up into like the mid or high threes. Sonny Gray just had a 5.2% home run to fly ball ratio by far a career best, and he led Major League Baseball. I mean, the next closest mm-hmm. was Tanner Bybee at 8%. So yeah. I do think we'll he see led, some home run regression. Fires and FIP, Sonny Gray did. Yeah. Unlike no, he was great. Choice, especially given the strikeout rate. So, I, you know, the 
I imagine the home run luck, luck, quote unquote, he had would speak to that. Uh, so yeah, you, you you make a good point. That like that's how FIP can can fake you out is uh, if somebody has like I said, good home run luck. We did have another pitcher sign over the weekend. Kent Maeda to the Detroit Tigers on a two-year, $24 million deal. Solid season in his return from Tommy John surgery. 423 ERA, a 117 whip, 117 strikeouts over 104 and a third innings. As usual, strikeouts not an issue for Kent Maeda. Among pitchers with at least 100 innings pitched, Maeda ranked 15th in K-minus walk rate. He was 23rd in swinging strike rate at 12.8%. Home runs have been a constant issue, uh, and they were obviously, again, this season. Moving to Comerica Park, not that you know there's going to be much in the way of wins there, that should help because, I mean, that is the worst home run park in all of baseball. So that should actually mm-hmm. help Kent Maeda this upcoming season. Scott, my guess is he'll work in as like a late round sleeper. He'll be a streamer when he has the right matchups. I don't know that he's just like an every week starter, but pitching in Comerica is something that could actually help Kent Maeda. Yeah, that was my thought too. Like considering home runs are his biggest issue, uh, going to what Statcast rates dead last among parks for for home runs over the the past three years. That that seems like an upgrade for Kent Maeda. There is you know, supporting cast issue there, but ultimately you, you want him to pitch well. And he ended up with 423 R8, despite a high strikeout rate, despite a pretty good low, uh, a pretty good whip. That ERA was high. I say home runs are Kenta Maeda's biggest issue, but I mean, really his biggest issue, regardless of where he's pitching, is will he stay healthy? Uh, and given that he'll be turning 36 this upcoming year, I don't imagine that's going to be improved with the Tigers. And it's And it's not even so much about him missing time is him pitching through injury because when things go bad for Maeda, they go really, really bad. And you might remember there was a, what was it? A nine start stretch after he returned from his uh, triceps injury this past year. He returned to June from a triceps injury. And for those first nine starts back, Kenta Maeda had a 236 ERA, 0.95 whip, 11.2 K per nine. I mean, that's a must start pitcher, but. Yeah, then it then it unraveled pretty well. Right about the time we began trusting him, it unraveled, and and so that's particularly when you factor in the health concerns. That's that's going to, I think, make uh, pursuing Maeda pretty frustrating, and it's going to make him nothing more than a late round pick in twelve team leagues, but a late round pick who could be very useful off and on. Yeah, uh, the injury history, as you pointed out, it, it's prevalent for Kent Maeda. He hasn't thrown more than a hundred six and a third innings since 2019 and again he's you know in his mid 30s it's it's probably not going to get much better moving forward what does this mean for both the tigers and the twins rotations because the twins have now just lost two pieces they lost maeda and sunny gray obviously the the tigers gained kenta maeda so uh first up the tigers rotation looks like as of now Tarek scubel maeda casey mize the returning casey mize so not sure how many innings we'll get out of him as well but uh matt manning and reese olsen looks like sawyer gibson long is Probably on the out for now, but obviously there's injuries and underperformance. He can work his way back in. They also have some prospects that could be pretty close in uh, Jackson Job and Wilmer Flores as well. The Twins projected pitching staff, Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, Billy Ober. All right, that's all good. Chris Paddock also coming back from injury, pitched a little bit towards the end of the season. And, I'm uh, excited about Paddock. And Louis Varland. I know yeah. uh, Paddock had a, like, what, he, he pitched a couple of innings towards the end of the year, but his velocity was way up, right? Something like that? 
Well, I mean, he was working in relief, but right. but yeah, and he was he was missing a, a how many appearances did he end up making? Uh, was it like two, three inning appearances? Something like he had like five innings. He pitched five innings, so I don't know how many appearances that ended yeah. up being. Um, but he looked like he looked like somebody worth gambling on in the late rounds, especially in points leagues. He's going to have RP eligibility to begin next year. So even even you know we think of that as a shallower format, only 250 players drafted usually in a 12 team head to head points league. But for that relief pitcher eligibility, a guy who's shown um, upside in the past, uh, I think he might be worth gambling on at the end of drafts. And I think. I feel pretty confident he's going to have the inside track on a rotation spot next year. I imagine they'll bring in somebody at a low cost to to kind of compete with Paddock and Louis Varland, who himself is kind of interesting. I don't think the upside is huge for Varland, but I, I think he could be a useful streamer type. Two, two uh, so, things. Oh, yeah. No, sorry. I didn't interrupt you. I just going to say two things to consider is they do have a pretty robust minor league system. So if they do feel that they're, you know, in contention, I think that's a team that they can trade um, from within those spots. I mean, just looking, I uh, just went away from it. Of course, um, obviously they're not going to trade Walker Jenkins, probably not Emmanuel Rodriguez, but you've got Brooks Lee. Um, they got Brandon Winokur, who they just drafted. Austin Martin is sitting out there. They've got, a, they've got some guys at the lower levels. The secondary thing to throw out to you is David Festa. Uh, David Festa did get to AAA this past year, 119 strikeouts in 92 innings. He had a four ERA, uh, but he was able to get, yeah, I guess it was only three starts in AAA, but he was at AA the whole time. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued with him. Festa change up. He used 22.6% of the time. Or change. Oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, Festa at AAA had a changeup with a 22.6% swinging strike percentage in on his AAA numbers, and that's a guy that can just pump fastball, get those strikeouts on a changeup. That's a great pitch that I think they would be comfortable with as far as a full-on starter. So just throwing out there that you know I I think they might feel they have a little bit more depth than is being presented, and a they can go trade for, it, and b a guy like David Festa is somebody that's going to get an opportunity pretty soon. So interesting because just looking at his profile, David Festa, six foot six, and uh, you mentioned it was a changeup, right? Yeah, was, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's so it's so similar to Bailey Ober, who's like six foot eight, and he's like fastball top of the zone, and then throws this awesome changeup. And this guy's six foot six, and it's fastball and it's changeup. It's just they kind of have a type right now, and it's worked for Bailey Ober. He's been a pretty useful pitcher so far. So I don't know, might work out for uh, also someone like David Festa as well. If they're not comfortable with Paddock. They, what if they're not comfortable with Paddock as a starter? You know, a guy like Festa could be somebody that they put in there and Paddock goes to the bullpen or you piggyback, you know, and you, a guy like, F again, I'm throwing Festa out here as what is on the roster. There is still an entire free agency and they do have bullets in that trade gun right now because they've got some pretty good talent. All right, let's uh, wrap up the news with this trade that we had right before Thanksgiving as Eugenio Suarez was traded over to the Welsh's Arizona Diamondbacks in exchange for hard-throwing reliever Carlos Vargas and backup catcher Sebi Savala. Suarez finished as the 18th third baseman in Roto, 14th that had 10 points. Kind of surprising because uh, he had 214 strikeouts, which was the most in the American League. He hit 232. He had 22 homers, 96 RBI. Still hits the ball hard, but the barrel rate came down a little bit this year. Uh, slugging percentage and ISO were both down as well. 
the ADP is 284, so we're talking about like a real late round, maybe even like a deeper league corner infielder here. But uh, Welsh, any thoughts here? Any enthusiasm for your D-backs acquiring Eugenio Suarez? Yeah, I mean, I think the possibility, I mean, friendly ballpark. If you look at ballpark factors, he had 22 this year. Um, if he were to have been all in Arizona, of course, all that tells us is maybe a three home run boost uh, hitting in Arizona. So there's a slight uh, advantage in Arizona in general. Uh, on the Fantasy and Five, I had predicted Matt Chapman that the Diamondbacks would go and they'd spend some money on Matt Chapman because they were going to do something at third base. This seems like a, this seems like the alternative of what they probably are going to have to end up doing. They may want to spend their money on the contracts of the players and trade within the, uh, you know, in the organization. And that's why I had presented this Jordan Lawler for a, a Cease or a Corbin Burns type, you know, some type of move like that. Because I think that's where the Diamondbacks make their moves. But, you know, he's going to hit in the middle of an order. That's got some good contact. Hit, I say middle order, probably like four or five. But, you know, you're going to be hitting theoretically with the opportunity of guys like Corbin Burns, Corbin Burns, uh, uh, Corbin Carroll and Cattell Marte, both on base, both high batting average players, the RBI opportunity with maybe the ball flinging out a little bit more. um, I don't love the batting average, but you know, it's not going to get much worse than Evan Longoria. I think he could, pop up a little bit like a corner infield option to watch. Maybe he's got some hot streaks. If you're playing for big power and strikeouts aren't going to absolutely destroy you, but you know, what league, what league is average or, you know, the strikeouts not going to affect you most likely maybe in, you know, maybe in an OBP league, he's a little bit less uh, damaging, but it's okay. It's a little bit more than slightly lateral move. All right. The uh, sky, anything on Suarez? My biggest takeaway from this trade is that, you know, I, I think Jordan Lawler's future is eventually shortstop, but this is one less avenue now where he can potentially yeah. win an opening day job, unless they're going to use him as trade bait, as you said, the Welsh. Uh, so that's, you know, maybe maybe a little less interest in drafting Jordan Lawler, not that he was going to be a huge draft day target to begin with. And that is putting Perdomo on a pedestal. I understand I'm putting Perdomo on a pedestal, but, you know, defensively, they love him. He, he did a pretty decent job. He was an all-star. And I have thrown out this idea that I think the Diamondbacks should reconsider maybe putting even Cattell Marte back in the outfield. You got a you got an opening in that left field spot. Let him play the Lourdes Gurriel spot, and then that would enable. I think that's the path for Jordan Lawler to be an impact with the Diamondbacks. But as I said, I'm not sold that um, they're not going to use him as ultimate collateral to make a big franchise changing move. Uh, that's what you would. That's if you're going to trade him. That's what you would do with it. Yeah, and last point on this, uh, roster resource currently has Dominic Fletcher as the starting DH for the D-backs, so uh, if everything just kind of stays the way it is, look, they could still make more moves. I think there's a chance Suarez could... They will make more moves. Suarez could DH a little bit if they really want to get Lawler in the lineup. I I think they could find ways to get creative with it, Um, but yeah, I think as of now, that's a possibility, at least uh, looking forward for Jordan Lawler. Some other news items worth mentioning, uh, Jason Hayward... Looks to be back with the Dodgers on a one-year deal. Pirates starting pitcher Johan Oviedo will undergo Tommy John surgery. Japanese pitcher Shota Imanaga was posted on Monday. He's 30 years old. A left-handed pitcher who sits in the low 90s with his fastball. Has great control uh, this season in the minor uh, in the minors. In Japan, hit, uh, 266 ERA, a 102 whip, 10.6K per nine, 1.4 walks per nine. So... K minus walk rate, so I have been amazing for that guy. Basically, uh, every year he's pitched in Japan, uh, but viewed as like a mid-rotation starting pitcher 
in uh, Major League Baseball. The early ADP for Shota Imanaga is 258.1, just behind Charlie Morton and Christopher Sanchez. He's a name that I think we're going to need to know for for fantasy purposes. And uh, the latest rumors, the Braves and the White Sox have discussed a potential Dylan Cease trade, so maybe a little Vaughn Grissom, a little A.J. smith Chauver, something like that involved in the deal that could happen. And uh, the Reds reportedly pursued Sonny Gray and are now interested in Tyler Glass now. So I don't know that that would be the great move, uh, the best move for Tyler Glass now's fantasy value going into a great American ballpark, but uh, we shall wait and see what happens with him. Let's take our first break. When we return, we're going to break down our first mock draft of the offseason. We will do that right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome back in. Let's break down our first mock draft of the offseason. And uh, I'm actually going to show the draft picks up on the screen for those watching us on YouTube. Uh, so you can follow along that way. Or if you're listening, I'll put the results, the link in the podcast and YouTube description. So you can click on that and, and you can follow along that way as well. Speaking of which, boom, let's pull Ba-ba-da. it up there. Ba-ba. And uh, this was a 12 team standard five by five Roto League. Usual categories, batting average, home run, run scored, RBI and steals. And on the pitching side, ERA, whip, wins, strikeouts and saves. Of course, we were using Roto style lineups. So 14 hitters, that includes two catchers, one of each infield position, five outfielders, one corner, one middle, and one utility hitter, and then nine pitcher spots, which you can divvy up however you want. I think most people either go six starting pitchers, three relievers, seven starting pitchers, two relievers, whatever it might be. Uh, Each of us here were in the draft, and we were all drafting in the back half. So I had the seventh pick, Scott had the ninth pick in this draft, and the Welsh was picking down at 11. Lame. <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, just, you know, not my fault. It's fine. It's, fine. it's, fine. it's totally fine. It's totally fine. I just, you know, the, your hopes get uh, when you're at the back of the draft, you're like, oh, is Gorman Carroll going to fall? <laughs> no, he's not going to fall. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We were all in the back half. I just did. We don't want to all be drafted next to each other. You guys are animals. You guys are savages. <laughs> he did fall to one of us. But did we actually draft him? We'll find out in just a second. Let's start with the uh, top half of the first round. We'll look at the early round stuff and then kind of get into our teams and roster construction and all that kind of fun stuff. But uh, the first half of the first round, Ronald Acuna, Bobby Witt, Julio Rodriguez. I think in most category, Roto-style leagues, that will be a consensus top three in some type of order. Acuna is going to be one, and then Bobby Witt and Julio Rodriguez, whatever order those two go in. Followed by Mookie Betts in this draft, Fernando Tatis, and Jose Ramirez. So, 
Scott, Tatis kind of remains this offseason wild card. He came back from the suspension. He only hit 257. The power and speed was great. 25 homers, 29 steals, and 141 games. He posted just a 770 OPS, 965 in his first three years. So this is actually a big drop-off. We don't know if it's, you know, shoulder-related. He had different surgeries, came, coming back from a suspension. Uh, I think he's going to remain uh, kind of a polarizing figure this offseason. His early ADP is 6.9, yet he is still the number two projected hitter uh, from the early steamer projections. What do you think about Fernando Tatis going as early as number five overall? Well, I don't like it. I don't like it less because of how I feel about Fernando Tatis than because of how I feel about a couple other guys who could have been drafted could have been drafted instead. I, I think the, the top six is crystal clear. Uh, you already mentioned Acuna, Witt, and Julio Rodriguez. The other three are Corbin Carroll, uh, Mookie Betts, and Freddie Freeman. Mookie Betts did go ahead of Fernando Tatis. He went fourth in this draft, but Tatis going fifth overall here. We still haven't seen Freeman or Corbin Carroll go off the board. And... Um, I mean, obviously, we we I, I recognize the upside for Fernando Tatis. He has the probably the second most upside of any player in fantasy for, behind uh, just Ronald Acuna, based on what we saw from him in uh, what was it, twenty twenty one? The kind of his his one hundred sixty two game pace that season, the home run and RB and the home run and stolen base totals were insane, but. You know, then he did have a couple of surgeries. He did have a PED suspension and he came back and, you know, he was back end of the first round kind of good. I am encouraged by the, by how hard Fernando Tatis hit the ball. And, um, I, I think that's maybe where you make the case. Okay. We'll, we'll give him a pass for 2023 and, and trust that he's still this like top five caliber hitter. There's a chance. I just think, Based on what we just saw Corbin Carroll and Freddie Freeman do, basically what we see Freddie Freeman do every year, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't see, I don't see the point of taking that risk in round one uh, if it means passing up those guys. Doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't really fit my uh, my level of risk aversion selling out for upside like that in round one. So that's that's really the only objection I have to Fernando Tatis. But look, that was my objection to taking Ronald Acuna number one overall this past year, and and obviously uh, I have egg on my face for that. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a chance that Fernando Tatis, look, he got one year under his belt, back from injury, suspension, all that stuff, and then boom, comes out this year and has like a 40-40 season. I, I think that's entirely possible. Not that I'd project yep. it to happen, but like you said, I mean... The upside is definitely there, and and so I get that. Jose Ramirez, uh, he's the only other name I wanted to mention here in the top six. Maybe a touch high compared to uh, ADP. I wouldn't take him over like Carroll, Freeman, or Tucker, but once those names are off the board, I, I do think Jose Ramirez is in play. Then we get into all of our picks. So the back half of the first round, I took Freddie Freeman at number seven overall. That was followed up by Corbin Carroll. Kyle Tucker went to Scott. Uh, then Shohei Otani, Trey Turner went to the Welsh, and Aaron Judge was the final pick of the first round. Back in September, I said that I would take Freddie Freeman over Corbin Carroll, and at least for now, I'm sticking to it. Uh, maybe it's I don't know, <laughs> scared money don't make money. Oh, really? Not not that I, not that I should. It uh, caused, go ahead. It caused you some consternation in round two. It did. That I thought might cause you to rethink taking Freddie Freeman over Corbin Carroll. 
And I know your concerns with Carol are related to the shoulder issue that popped up. Like there were a couple times mid-season where we thought Corbin Carroll's year was over because of a massive catastrophic shoulder injury. And he was back in the lineup like a day or two later. (laughs) Luckily, you got to see it all the way to the World Series where it wasn't an issue, right? (laughs) Yeah. Still not good enough. Still not good enough. But uh, I would think that would bring peace of mind. I, I have a couple of months to change my mind, guys. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> okay. well, no, well, sir. I'll, I'll this point is out. It. We'll get into. It's worth getting into in round two when we see what happened in round two. Why? Um, why maybe taking Freeman over Carroll was not such a great idea. But we'll get to it then. Yep, yeah. uh, Scott. You took fifty-one seconds to select Kyle Tucker. Does that mean uh, you were contemplating anybody else? You know, I was probably furiously putting to putting to putting my rankings in a form where I could uh, narrow them down as the the draft was playing out, you know, copying and pasting them into an Excel file so I could delete the names taken and keep trying. Because, you know, what's in the draft room right now is not something you want to rely on for your draft. So that's probably why it took me 51 seconds. I tend to take a lot of time anyway. But yeah, I was probably waiting to the last minute to get those rankings in order. If Corbin Carroll fell to me, so Corbin Carroll went eight, eighth and I took Kyle Tucker ninth. So there was probably some disappointment setting in because I think Corbin Carroll's the number four player. Would have been great to get him a nine. But no, Kyle Tucker is is uh, I, I think pretty clearly the the best choice of that second tier of hitters, especially if you know Fernando Tatis isn't there to consider. Yeah, I, I would not dispute that. I I was going to make the argument a little bit earlier that I think you could stretch it to like a top seven in Roto, and if you wanted to tack Kyle Tucker there as like the seventh player, I, I have no problem with saying that. He, I would say he's pretty proven at this point. Uh, I, I mean, there's. Like, I feel like you have to take an outfielder if it's in doubt. Like, that is the one position where there, it feels like there's a lack. And and obviously, this being a standard Roto League, five outfielder spots to fill. Yeah. If, when in doubt, in the early rounds, take an outfielder. I'm not, I'm not going crazy for the position scarcity thing, but that is the one kind of rule I'm making for myself. When in doubt, take an outfielder. Yeah, more on that in just a bit. Welsh, you took Trey Turner at pick 11. You took him over Aaron Judge, Spencer Strider. And Jordan Alvarez, were you happy at that decision in the moment? And uh, I guess, were you happy with it at the end? Yeah, well, in the moment, yeah. Uh, the, I, I want to prioritize stolen bases. I know we're going to all season long have this debate of are stolen bases less you know, worthy and uh, elite power. But I, I will say also, like, I definitely was watching Corbin Carroll fall and I was like, oh, come on, baby. Come on, come up sevens. And it didn't. Uh, Kyle Tucker didn't fall. And I just thought, you know, the the back half of what Trey Turner did this year, he kind of got back into who he was. He ended up with 30 stolen bases. He hit 292. We saw a huge power output post-All-Star break um, with 16 homers. We were kind of waiting for that from the WBC. So he just kind of got back into being that full-fledged player. Now, the end of it, We'll save that for the discussion we're going to come to because you could you, you both are going to argue for what I did, which, by the way, this is a mock draft. We're kind of messing around here. We're playing with some different styles. I did have kind of an idea of what I wanted to do, uh, but I got a little crazy with it. So at the end, I gave myself probably too much of one position, so you could argue maybe not. But I think he was the best player on the board, and I was paying attention to this wheel situation where I was like, well, I'm, I can get one of Judge, Alvarez, or Soto. I wanted a big power here. I wanted obviously Judge and 
uh, Alvarez probably a little bit higher in there, but like those are one of the three players I wanted. So knowing that I could prioritize stolen bases, I did that with Trey Turner and the batting average. And I figured I'm going to get one of these guys, or if I wanted to quickly change my mind, I could go get the best SP off the board. So I actually thought I was in a really good position and this started off really well with Turner. And early ADP would agree with you because Trey Turner's NFBC ADP is 9.3. So uh, is going a yeah. little bit earlier than even where you took him. The I have I have Trey Turner as the ninth overall player. So for you to get him, what eleventh? Yeah, uh, the the Shohei Otani pick at, at tenth overall, I think, is really stands out to me. That you know, you're just you're you're not going to worry at all about him missing time at the beginning of next year. You're you're you're, you're going to fill the DH spot without the option of having being able to switch him to pitcher at times. I don't know. To me, Shohei Otani belongs after the guys all in consideration for around one pick, which is like 16 guys. I think it's open for interpretation. We, we definitely want to like get some updates about how he recovers because, you know, there's a lot of like narrative out there of like, Hey, you know, now that he can focus on hitting, he might want to do this and do that. And maybe he goes, you know, more games played and he kind of even goes a little bit more wild. That narrative is out there, but it's also kind of true. Like this is like what he can be as a hitter is to dream on. The negatives are he is DH. So the flexibility is gone and that takes away maybe some players later and uh, the injury, like what time could be missed? Theoretically, we are presented with no time to be missed, but there mm-hmm. could be some time missed. And yeah. I don't know, taking a and player with that type of injury is scary. Yeah. I, I mean, Bryce Harper came back after, what, six months? Took him two months to get right? Right, right. He, he did not look like Bryce Harper. So, um, yeah, I, I, I have, as we're seeing here between my take on Fernando Tatis and Shohei Otani, I... My tendency is to play it very, very safe in the early rounds, because uh, like that, that a, a missed pick there could just ruin your whole season. And, and I think but. to your point, it's like I'm not quite like that because I'm a little bit of a wild card, wild west, boom, boom. But like the players are so good. The that's right. that counter yeah. to like you could be like, hey, I don't want to play it great, but the players are so good in the first round that it's right. like, why take that extra little stab at? playing it risky when it's like that that looks like and it could fall apart that looks like one of the best first rounds i've seen in god knows how long in a season like those are all potential i mean some of the players overall picks some of the players who weren't in round one i like like i was saying they're 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 to me as 16 first round caliber players and so you know i agree with you Picking 11th, you were complaining about picking 11th, Welsh. I mean, that's, I was just, that might be a good place to pick. Yeah, I complaining to complain. That's all I was doing. It's, I'm, I'm really, I'm not upset about that spot. It comes back to bite you. There's this like, there's that good feeling of like not having to wait long between picks, but then having that big, huge space between coming back where there's things you'd like to do. It's, I don't know. Sometimes it kind of like, it, it can kind of throw you off just a tiny bit, unless you have a absolute hard concrete plan, which, you know, in November, I don't have my hardcore concrete plan. I want to play around with some stuff. You know what? There may be 19 first-round caliber picks, come to think of it, because I wasn't including Otani, Bryce Harper, Jan Soto in that original group of 16. Last point on Otani. Soto? What? <laughs> yeah, I think you said. Did I say Jan Soto? I think you did. Juan <laughs> <laughs> Soto. like a silent J. It's yogging. Yog- it's, it's, I believe it's called yogging. People said Juan Succo. I think Jan Succo is, is a better nickname for the bad version of him. Last point on Otani that I would make, I would not take him at 10, but if somebody wanted to make the argument for him, if you think he's going to be fully healthy on opening day, he's probably a top five pick. Like if we get that confirmation during spring training, he's probably moving up into the top five. So I guess that's the argument well, for him, but 
I'd have to see him hit a few hit a few dongs in spring training. Yeah, which uh, I think he's certainly capable of. Uh, let's move into the second round because uh, we spent a lot of time on the first. The second round starts with, uh, you know, I'll scroll down for those watching us here so you can see what's going on. Uh, the second round started with uh, Spencer Strider as the SP1, and then the Welsh took Juan Succo, Juan Soto, followed by Don. Jordan Alvarez. Corey Seager went to Scott. Rafael Devers, and then I took Francisco Lindor to pair with Freeman. And here was my dilemma, which Scott mentioned earlier. In a vacuum, I think Bryce Harper is a better player than Lindor. I think he's a better player for fantasy as well. Uh, and I would take him just in a vacuum over Francisco Lindor. But I didn't because I didn't want to start my team with two first basemen, which well. then brings us to the question, well, if you would have just taken Corbin Carroll or Kyle Tucker then you could have had Bryce Harper. Or you could just start your team with two first basemen and see how it works out. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact Corbin Carroll was there more so than Kyle Tucker for me. I'm, I'm definitely taking Freeman over Tucker, but I'm definitely not taking Freeman over Corbin Carroll. And and this is, this is a, I, I wasn't even counting on this as, I wasn't even counting this as a reason why, but the what can happen among the obvious early round first basemen. You mentioned Harper. Matt Olson too. So Harper ends up going 21st overall because you didn't feel like you were able to take him having already taken Freddie Freeman. So you take a Francisco Lindor instead. Matt Olson went 24th overall. Matt Olson's a hitter who I think you could justify taking as high as like 11th or 12th. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I would have taken Matt Olson. Like, I, like you're saying you would have taken Bryce Harper in your spot, Frank. I was salivating thinking we were going to talk about Matt. I have Matt Olson over Harper right now. I would have taken Matt Olson. So that idea of Corbin and Matt Olson, that gets me excited about that. So to, well, it, either way, yeah. you can interchange the players, but I completely agree here because Matt Olson is a top 12 uh viable fantasy value and no, i don't think i don't think ahead. it's going to be often that somebody takes so rafael devers was the pick directly before you frank francisco lindor um i don't think it's often rafael devers is going to go ahead of uh matt olson and bryce harper i don't think it's often that uh, austin riley is going to go ahead of matt olson we haven't gotten there but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen very often either. So there was just kind of some, why is everybody passing over these two first basemen happening in this draft? But particularly yeah. in your situation, picking 18th overall, it's very likely that one of Olsen and Harper will last to 18th overall. And so, yeah, that might be, that might be the reason to think twice about taking Freeman there. Certainly if somebody like Corbin Carroll is available instead. I mean, at the fourth pick in round two, 16th overall, where I took Corey Seager. The debate for me with that pick was Corey Seager or Matt Olson, having taken Kyle Tucker and outfielder in round one. I was like, okay, do I go Corey Seager or do I go Matt Olson, get the huge home run and RBI and run, frankly, production from Matt Olson? Or do I get the huge batting average from Corey Seager with still good home, still great home run, run and RBI production as well, but maybe not quite at, at uh, Olsen's level. And ultimately, I decided batting average is the higher priority in the early rounds because uh, it's really hard to get batting average along with anything else uh, in the early to mid rounds even. But it was a close call. I, I think those two in terms of overall value, Seager and, and Matt Olsen are pretty much neck and neck for me. Um, and so I was floored to see Matt Olson go 12th. The guy who drafted Ronald Acuna first overall <laughs> then got Matt Olson with his second pick. Stupid. And that just, that can't happen. That can't happen. Yeah. How did we let this happen in a mock draft yeah. in November? Who, what are we doing? Uh, let's, 
quickly remind people what happened uh, the rest of the second round. So I took Lindor at pick 18, followed by Garrett Cole, who was the SP2 off the board, Austin Riley, Bryce Harper, Luis Robert, Corbin Burns as the SP3, followed by Matt Olson, who went to uh, my buddy George Kurtz, who I used to work with. So shout out to George. He did a great job there uh, starting his team with Ronald Acuna and Matt Olson. Frankly, I don't think it'll happen in many other drafts uh, this this offseason or in 2024. But uh, for anyone who does get that, shout out to you because that's awesome. Let's take our final break. When we return, we'll uh, break down some of the other early rounds and then the rest of our teams will do that here on Fantasy Baseball Today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome back in. Uh, let's get back into the third round here, which starts with Zach Wheeler as the SP4 off the board, followed by Vladimir Guerrero, Ozzy Albies, Ellie De La Cruz, Bo Bichette, and Pete Alonzo. So, look, Ellie De La Cruz, I think a lot of offseason conversations are going to be about him and his ADP being a third-round pick. Might sound crazy, but if there is any way that you're going to do it, pairing Ellie De La Cruz with Mookie Betts and Bryce Harper... Feels like a pretty damn good way to do it, Welsh. That's how you do it. That, yeah. If you're going to do it, that's how you do it. We said you don't get crazy in those first couple rounds because they're such great, talented players. Then you start getting into a little bit more of like, yeah, you're taking a little bit more concerted risk. I mean, you you could apply risk to some of these other picks. I mean, I think Vlad is a good deal here, but, you know, Vlad and some of the counting stats being down, Pete Alonso and the batting average and stuff. So if you're going to do it, have two of the safest picks at the top end, take Ellie De La Cruz for the insane upside. If it works out, if the he gets the ball off the uh, off the ground, off of his, what, three-degree launch angle, and he's not striking out 30% of the time, Ellie is going to be a massive, massive, massive return. And it'd be interesting to look at like at the end of like what all he did and what type of implied risk was out there. But um, it's probably not going to be a ton for me this year. But I this is how you do it. Yeah. Although if he had just taken Corbin Carroll over Mookie Betts, then I don't know that he even needs to stress about steals at this point. You know, because do you, do you, you think say, that was oh, a stolen base stress pick or do you think yeah. it was he does everything pick? Just sell out for upside. I, I think it was more stolen bases uh, because that's the one thing you can count on Ellie De La Cruz for. And he probably doesn't have a lot yet between Mookie Betts. Didn't feel like he had a lot yet between Mookie Betts and Bryce Harper. Not that he had zero, but I don't know what a combined 30 between the two of those guys. Uh, maybe even less. I, I mean, I'd rather be the guy who takes Freddie Freeman and takes Ellie De La Cruz because he built in a little more batting average protection that way. Mookie Betts did hit 307 this past year, but the previous two years he was more like a 260 to 270 hitter. So um, I don't know. Uh, it, it's going to take a particular start for me to to be the one who 
grabs Ellie De La Cruz in round three, though it is looking like that is when you would have to commit to taking Ellie De La Cruz. I also want to point out, and I'm encouraged by this, uh, Vladimir Guerrero and Bo Bichette, two guys who've gotten a lot of benefit of the doubt in the past. Uh, the fact they're they're going in round three shows they're getting less benefit of the doubt, and I, I think that's appropriate based on the way certainly last year went, but even the year before for both Vlad and Bo. Yeah, Scott and I spent a lot of time talking about Bo Bichette on our shortstop recap last week, so you can go back and listen to that. And, uh, I, you know, I saw, I think it was either on Friday or Saturday. No, maybe it was even before Thanksgiving. There were some rumors last week that, like, the Cubs were poking around on Bo Bichette with the Blue Jays, and I don't know, there was just, like, some whispers of trade rumors on, on the Twitter, on the X machine. So, I don't know. I don't think that the, the Blue Jays are very inclined to move Bo Bichette, but... It's the first that I've heard about it, so it's something to pay attention to. The back end of the third round, uh, I took Jose Altuve with the seventh pick of the third round, followed by Marcus Semien. Kevin Gosman was the fifth starter off the board. He went to Scott. Then Michael Harris, Gunnar Henderson went to the Welsh, and Luis Castillo, the sixth starter off the board. Scotty, got to be honest, I was a little surprised to see you take a starting pitcher as early as the third round. Was this just because you didn't love any of the hitters available? Was this part of the plan coming in? What do you think? There is a certain threshold among my hitter ranks where I feel like, okay, everybody above this is is MVP caliber bat. And everybody below this, not to say they couldn't become an MVP caliber bat, but I think I, I consider them a little less than that right now. So they're, they're a little more, they're, they're part of a bigger... Uh, less select group. And basically, so that the two picks before my Gosman pick at the ninth pick in round three, the two picks before that were Jose Altuve, Marcus Simeon. And that was, that was basically the cutoff. Those were the last two from that group of MVP caliber hitters. If Simeon had lasted one more pick, I would have taken him instead. But here, the ninth pick in round three, uh, this pick 31 overall, uh, it came down to, okay, the best hitter for me was Gunnar Henderson. Gunnar Henderson, you know, he takes another step forward in his sophomore year and, and maybe he becomes that MVP caliber bat. But we're, we're by ranking him as high as I do, like we're kind of counting on him taking that step forward already. Like he has more in common with Manny Machado than with uh, Austin Riley. So um, I, I thought that was, I thought, I thought that was too big of a leap the fact that Kevin Gosman was still out, that he's my number four pitcher, uh, big strikeout guy, likely to eclipse 220 strikeouts. And one, my biggest rule, at least in Roto Leagues, my biggest rule for starting pitchers this year is if I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay for strikeouts. So the fact that Gosman specifically was there and he was the pitcher I could opt for instead of Henderson, you know, kind of passed my two, my two big rules for starting pitcher. Definitely getting strikeouts in the case of Gosman and MVP caliber bats all gone before I took my first pitcher. All right, let's move into the fourth round. The Welsh, we found out, loves him some speed. Why is that? Because, uh, well, Zach Gallen was the first pick of the fourth round. And then the Welsh took C.J. Abrams, followed by Tyler Glass now. Manny Machado went to Scott. Uh, then Mike Trout. And I took Randy Arozarena. So I'll just quickly read off all of our teams, how they look through the first four rounds. And then Welsh, you can just comment on your Abrams pick. Uh, but through four rounds, Welsh had Trey Turner, Juan Soto, Gunnar Henderson, C.J. Abrams. Scott had Kyle Tucker, Corey Seager, 
Kevin Gosman, and Manny Machado. The only one of us to take a starting pitcher in the first uh, four rounds, let alone you know, Scott took him in the third. And then uh, I have Freddie Freeman, Francisco Lindor, Jose Altuve, and Randy Arozarena. Welsh, lots of speed. Two shortstops. Yeah. What do you think? And we ain't done. We ain't done. We can keep going. Uh, I will tell you this. Um, my plans got derailed. So I gave a long, hard look at going Castillo or Gallon, but I kept staring at Gunder, Gunner and I kept staring at like the third base spot. And I just didn't I, I wanted to I wanted to lock that in. This is more stolen bases out of a position that doesn't normally get it. I think he's a great hitter. He's going to be put in a prime spot. I like the homer. I, I believe in it. So I, I was like, all right, I'm going to take Gunner. Then I'm going to take one of Castillo or Gallon. Well, if you're watching on the YouTube, you notice, bam, bam, both of those went, and I went, crap. Those were the two pitchers I wanted. I thought very long and hard also about George Kirby, but as Scott kind of said, like I do want to, when I can, pay for the strikeouts. So then I say, you know what? I'm I'm going to invest here. C.J. Abrams is still there. Like I know people are going to be weird about speed. I feel like I'm doing a decent job, especially on the risk I took at the beginning. I've got batting average. I've got some power. Gunner is a 30 home run power guy. And I was able to then solidify the number three projected steamer stolen base guy on the season. Yes, I already had the position full, but I got middle infield. And I sometimes think we make a little too big of a deal about like, hey, you got two here. and But we have middle infield. We have corner infield. We have util. Like, I'm, I want to utilize that with the best players as, as possible. And I also just didn't like lo- I wasn't in love with the hitters that were coming after that. And my two SPs went. So I decided to pivot into this like speed heavy approach to see what it ended up looking like. And I knew a player I was going to take later, which derails Scott's brain on ever liking this team. And I knew I was going to take this guy and I still did this. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think the, the way you, I, I was looking at your full roster prior to this podcast, cause I did mention, uh, in, in my write up for this mock that, that you know, that it makes sense for somebody to take CJ Abrams in round four. I don't know that it makes sense for the guy who took Trey Turner in round one to take CJ Abrams in round yeah. four. Um, you really focused in on your needs after that, and so I think it. I think it turned out okay. Like you okay. don't have too much speed. You didn't overdo it with speed. It, you think you might if you take Turner in round one and Abrams in round four, but you just kind of pivoted away from speed after that, which is fine. There's a, there's a lot more speed available at all phases of the draft, but you don't have to build your team that way, obviously. It leaves you with less options, but it, it also kind of gives you a clearer path forward when you, when you do something that extreme early on. I, I find C.J. Abrams to be a hard player to... Um, to rank and to justify because the like he's going to give you a ton of steals if he maintains his pace from the final three months for a full season he might give you 70 steals i'm not sure what else he's giving you i'm not sure what else he's giving you maybe he takes a step forward in batting average maybe he gets on base more more and could be a big runs guy uh maybe he hits between 15 and 20 homers again i don't think any of that is a lot for cj abrams and so it's uh, I think I'm only going to take him in round four if like I got burned in steals up to that point and just really need to make up ground quickly. Yeah, we said this on another, another podcast, but I think if you start a team with Judge and Alvarez or Judge and Soto or Alvarez and Corey Seager, something like that, if you're in the back half and there's just some way, somehow, you miss out on Trey Turner and there's no speed left, if you start with those two sluggers and then Abrams is there in round four, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, but... Uh, as you pointed out, and we'll read off the teams here and, and let people decide, but 
uh, yeah, Welsh did kind of pivot into other positions and other needs after taking those speedsters up at the top. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you see I pulled up Scott's team here. So uh, I'll, I'll run through here and I'll let you guys talk about each of your teams. We'll start with the offense, Scott. You had Shea Langoliers and Tyler Soderstrom at catcher from uh, the Las Vegas A's. How about that tandem? Uh, Christian <laughs> Walker at first base. Well, it looks really bad to start out, right? <laughs> I'll start out with Langoliers and Soderstrom. Yeah, okay. yeah. Sorry, I just have to read it from the top down. It's just the way my it last is. two picks in the draft, basically. <laughs> uh, Christian Walker at first base. Zach Geloff at second. Manny Machado. Oh. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, Manny Machado at third, Corey Seager at shortstop, Ronnie Mauricio at middle infield, Junior Caminero at corner, and then in the outfield, Kyle Tucker, Josh Lowe, Seiya Suzuki, Chaz McCormick, uh, Kerry Carpenter, and you have Jaron Duran at utility. So nice to see that one of uh, the three of us actually invested in outfield and came away with yeah. a decent one. When <laughs> more, in doubt. More on that in a second. Um, seems like a decent amount of power and speed. Obviously, you punted that catcher here, Scott. You also have prospects at both middle and corner. Are you okay with that after being aggressive on prospects last year and, and it kind of burned you a little bit? Yeah, I'm okay with it because we saw Mauricio go crazy on the bases once he got called up. We already got a sneak peek at him. We saw him, the huge exit velocities carry over to the majors. I think the playing time is going to be there for him. And if nothing else, I think he's going to run and he could deliver big power on top of it. Uh, and, and Common Arrow, I mean, is elite, elite prospect. And you're not having to invest a top five pick in him. I got, what round did I get him in? Um, I got Common Arrow in round 17. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't draft a lineup with five rookies and I drafted it with two, but they're either really high end prospects in Common Arrow's case or, you know, have already shown they can do something in Mauricio's case. So I'm fine with it. And the investment was low. Yeah, I, I do want to... Well, you already mentioned it, my emphasis on the outfield. Yeah, I, I feel good about the balance I achieved here with power and speed and uh, taking advantage of scarcities in the case of Zach Geloff and Junior Caminero. I think second base and third base are the two positions where I'm most likely to wait because I like a lot of the upside available later on. On the pitching side, we mentioned you took Kevin Gosman in round three. You also took Blake Snell in round five. Uh, I believe it was Cole Reagans in round seven, Justin Steele in round 10. So four of your first uh, 10 picks there on starting pitchers. You also have Christian Javier, Ryan Pepio rounding out the pitching staff, followed by Rysel Iglesias, uh -huh. Craig Kimbrell, and Tanner Scott as your closers. Tons of strikeouts. Looks like the ERA should be strong. The one issue I would point out, Scott, is the whip. With Kevin Gosman, Snell, and Reagans all together, all those guys, I mean... Reagans and Snell, the walk rate, I think is going to be high for both of them. But Kevin Gosman, I mean, the guy always gives up a ton of hits. I, I don't know what it's about, what the reason is, but his whip yeah. is always a little bit more elevated for an ace than you'd like. So that was my only kind of pushback on the specific eh. pitchers you took. I mean, based on last year's stats, I think it was still a top five team in terms of whip. So I don't know. Um, and like I said, the reason I, I, I'm... I'm I'm really selling out for strikeouts and my pitching rankings I can already tell are going to be different from most people's because I'm elevating strikeout guys over non-strikeout guys intentionally uh, is, is because like that is the one pitching stat I feel like you can count on. That's, that's part one. If you, if you buy strikeouts, you're going to get strikeouts barring injury, of course. And part two is the high strikeout guys. 
have generally have the most upside overall. So if, if there's if there are going to be pitchers who surprise everybody in, with their ERA and whip, it's more likely to be the strikeout guys. That's a secondary reason, but I think they're both good reasons. And really, that's just get, kind of getting back to my original pitching philosophies before I kind of uh, started trying to uh, play market inefficiencies instead. I, I know I'm not really breaking news with that, but like that is why if if you're if you're not aware, that is why I'm selling out hard for strikeouts, and so. Uh, I know I invested a lot of pit in pitching in this team, as you pointed out, Frank, but I invested in Gosman, Snell, Reagans. Those three are my, the, my top three pitching picks. Huge strikeout guys. Huge strikeout guys. And then the fact, you know, I have Justin Steele on this team as well. I don't think of him as a big strikeout guy, but he was there in round 10. I wasn't even the biggest, like every time I said anything bad about Justin Steele this past year, I had, bunch of people jumping down my throat and yet somehow he lasts till round 10 in our first mock i thought that was uh the steal of the draft no pun intended um (laughs) so i didn't intend to invest this much in pitching and i don't know that i will in every draft i think partly it was just other people weren't getting pitching and so a lot of times it made sense for me to grab that guy but i'm really happy with the way this team turned out my offense is a little weaker than I'd like it to be, but I think it's competitive and, and my pitching I think should be pretty dominant and in the areas that are most predictable. I'll, I'll also point out, I drafted three closers here in um, Rysel Iglesias, Tanner Scott, and Craig Kimbrell. Maybe not a closer, but I'm ranking him as a closer for now until we see where he winds up. That's going to be a lot easier to do this year. The closing, the closing landscape is a lot more predictable than it's been in recent years. Um, so many of those jobs are known. You're not going to have to go crazy for saves the way you've maybe grown accustomed to, uh, given the scarcities of the past couple of years. All right, let's run through the Welsh's entire team again. He was picking from the 11th spot, and he had Wilson Contreras and Elias Diaz at catcher, Tristan Casas at first base, followed by Edouard Julian at second, Gunnar Henderson at third, Trey Turner at short, C.J. Abrams at middle, Royce Lewis at corner, and in the outfield, Juan Soto, Teoscar Hernandez, James Outman, Tommy Pham, and Jackson Churio with O'Neill Cruz as his utility bat. So, look, if nothing else, Welsh, you automatically win the fun category. Like, this is an incredibly <laughs> fun team. It also has three very awesome shortstops that are likely to go in the top, what, 75, maybe like 100 picks in drafts this year. If you could change it, would you go back and maybe take an outfielder over one of Abrams or O'Neill Cruz because the outfield looks like it turned out a little bit weak? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would tell you, like, a couple things. And I'll try to be quick about it. Like mocks, especially early, are meant to uh, really explore roster construction. That's like a really important thing. You're not, you don't do, a, when we do a podcast, and we all kind of want to win the mock, but you want to explore like, what can I do with the construction of these teams? But I also noted, and if we were to go through all of this, every round I would get sniped on something I want to do and I would pivot. And, but pivoting to me doesn't mean I have to also pivot at the position. Like Scott sniped me on Blake Snell. I would have taken Blake Snell. You know, like that's the type of stuff that continuously kept happening to me. And then I'd put myself in a situation. I'd like, okay, I'm going to take Royce Lewis. I come back. O'Neill Cruz is there. I want him. I want to draft him. So if I had to pivot off, ironically, it would have been Abrams because I want to keep O'Neill Cruz this year. But I didn't like any of the other hitters or pitch. I just didn't like anything that was out there. So, yeah, I there's a million things I would change about this. This is not something I'd feel super comfortable about going in with the season with because you guys can – 
obviously pick apart some of the crazy stuff that's out there. And like you said, the outfield, the outfield's got to be better. Like, especially if I'm going to invest in Juan Soto early on, I wanted it to be better. So yeah, there, there would definitely be changes. What I wouldn't change is I want O'Neill Cruz on my teams this year. I love the Turner and Soto stuff. And, you know, the couple picks, like I think Royce fits on a team. I'm going to take a shot later on Jackson Churio, but I think there's other things, you know, hindsight getting Royce Lewis, I could have not gotten Gunnar Henderson and maybe taken a more of a stud outfielder. And then my pitching suffered from it because I went, I decided because again, I just didn't like some of the pitching was out there and I wanted to see what would the elite closer look like. And I went hard on closers. I ended up getting Camilo Duvall, uh, Josh Hader, and then I took Paul Seawald and I constructed probably the oldest, most boring pitching staff, but I did have some of the pitchers late fall to me that I wanted to fall to me. I took Shane Bieber in the 11th round. I got Hunter Brown. If I can get first half Hunter Brown back, I got Sonny Gray. I don't even know where I'm not looking at it. Hunter green for the strikeouts. Maybe a bounce back for Josh Hader. And I had to get Brandon fought because I think he's like the changes and what we saw in the back half of the year. There's no inning constrictions with a guy like that. So it doesn't look sexy, but this is definitely a team that can dominate most of the counting stats outside of batting average, which I'm, I'm kicking myself about, and I will win saves, and it's going to help my ratios, but where will I, how competitive will I be if, these, if some of these guys don't show out? So it's a crazy, risky team. I don't really suggest it, but I do suggest taking shots like this to figure out what is the roster construction, how do I want to do things. The next mock we do... I'm probably going to go heavy pitching. That will be something I want to explore. What does my heavier pitching team look like with some of the bats that I do want to target? All right. Maybe the next mock draft that we do, I'll, uh, I'll start with two first basemen and see how it turns out. Yeah. Get crazy. <laughs> get a little crazy with it. Uh, and of course we saved the best for last. I'll just quickly read off my team and, uh, some quick thoughts on it. I was drafting from the seventh pick and, uh, at catcher. I had JT real Muto and Logan Ohapi. I had Freddie Freeman at first base followed by Jose Altuve at second, Josh Young at third, Francisco Lindor at short, Bryson Stott at middle, and Christian Encarnacion Strand at corner. Wow. That's it's amazing. A, that's such I a love fun it. team. Love it. Brace uh-huh. yourselves for the outfield. Randy Arozarena. All right, that's pretty okay. good. Right. Cool. And then Jorge Soler as my second outfielder, Steven Kwan, Lourdes Gurriel, Starling Marte, and Anthony Rizzo as my utility hitter. So, mm. as you can see, uh, there are lots of very fun and great <laughs> infield options, even ones, even after I had filled out my infield, I just kept noticing like every pick that I was up, I was like, wow, there's another really good infielder here. Wow. There's another great infielder here. And I could not say the same thing about outfielders. So I don't really want to do the position scarcity thing, but I kind of agree with you, Scott. Nah, like, if yep. you're, if you're just kind of, you know, if you use it as a tiebreaker in the early rounds, take the outfielder because man, you, you don't want this outfield. I'm not, not sure not it's a crazy to say you should try to come out of the top six rounds with two outfielders. I, I know it's being a bit dramatic, but like, I agree here. Like I did the same thing. I'm like the short time. So good. I have to have O'Neal. I have to have these guys. The outfield does not have that feel and the fall off is bigger. And that's weird by the way, because every for years and years, what do you do? You're like, Oh, Hey, uh, second base stinks or Ooh, third base. Isn't that good. It's outfield this year. There's not enough mm. depth. Starting was, five last later in. Yeah. yeah it, 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 but there it, were other positions that were weak in addition to outfield. It feels like it's, it's getting worse. Like we yeah. would talk ourselves into like, hey, Starling Marte is kind of a good bet a little bit later on. No, he's not. Yeah. Not anymore. It I 
I'm going to, I'll bet you by January when you have like really hardcore solidified draft plans, I'm going to say like through six rounds, I probably want to have two outfielders. Maybe you open yeah. it up a little bit to like round seven or something, but I, I would prioritize it. Certainly, certainly in a five outfielder league. And I had that when I was looking through your team, Frank, I had the same reaction as you. was like, I was looking at the infielders first. I'm like, wow, Frank dominated this draft. And then I got <laughs> to the outfield and I was like, oh. Ooh, <laughs> not great. Yeah. yeah. Um, something else I noticed too, which doesn't help the outfield position is that um, Eloy Jimenez and Marcelo Zuna are util only this year. So... Uh, well, in 2024. So keep that in mind. It's like we lost two other, yeah. what should be, you know, probably a good thing. Helpful outfielders <laughs> for fantasy. Uh, quickly on the pitching side, I double tapped my first two starting pitchers in rounds five and six. And here's how it t- uh, turned out. I had Tarek Skubal and Freddie Peralta up top with uh, Walker Bueller as my three. So, you know, tons of upside, but also tons of risk, I would say. Then I kind of back it up with Jordan Montgomery, Jose Brios, Aaron Savali, because they kind of feel like higher floor guys that p- kind of pair well with, I guess, some of those upside guys that are maybe not as proven or with Walker Bueller, he's coming back from Tommy John surgery. Um, and then I had Brian Wu as my seventh starting pitcher. Only two closers for me, Jordan Romano and Kyle Finnegan. Again, I, I love the upside. I have three of Scott's top 24 ranked starting pitchers on my team here. Um, but again, a little bit of risk, but I think I kind of paired it well with uh, with the higher floor pitchers. Any thoughts? I think you did great. You did great, Frank. You deserve. You won. I think you won the the no. thing. You sniped me multiple times. You sniped me on a couple of those pitchers. I definitely was looking at Scooble. I was looking at Bueller. I think even at the Savali pick, I was looking at those guys. I thought you constructed it well, and you are crowned trophy winner of Mock Draft 1.0. Yay me! Mm. All right. Well, Scott doesn't sound like he <laughs> agrees on that. You don't like the pitching staff, Scott? I, I feel mean, like I, your pitching should be better. It has Tarek Skubal, though. Like, that's pretty awesome. Did you see that infield, though? <laughs> I mean, no, that's a great infield. It's a great, like, clearly all your investment went in the infield. Because even, like, your second closer is Kyle Finnegan. I'm like, Ugh. he's fine. He's, he's a closer. Yeah. He is a closer. All right, well, Maybe. we've got time to figure it out, hopefully. And, uh, but we don't have any more time left on this podcast. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and the Welsh, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.